This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, everybody. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we interview an amazing person from the episode. And today is amazing. I feel like Trixie and Katya every time I get to say the same thing every episode. It feels <laughs> special. It because feels it's important. our show and not yours. Yes, bitch. Okay, I have <laughs> wild news. So, you know, I'm a huge BoJack Horseman watcher. I watch it before yes. bed constantly. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. Yes. It's one of my favorite shows. Raul Esperanza is a voice on that show. And I had no fucking idea. Raul Esparza, yeah. Shut up. Oh, God, they're going to come for me. I've been calling him Barbara. They're so mad. No, I love it. Well, Esperanza, I think Esperanza means hope. So it's it's exciting that that's a good last name for him, too. Wait, so who is he on the show? He's the little mouse that dates Princess Caroline, Amy Sedaris's cat agent manager yes. character. Um, and he's a Stilton. So he's um, like the heir to the it's, he's like a Hilton. So he's super rich and he's a mouse and they love each other. And then his family comes from r- money. Obviously, they're like the Hiltons. Oh, my and he's God. Like a great romantic partner. And Princess Caroline is just not fully ready for that kind of love. But he is <laughs> um, like a cutie little mouse. And I was looking up someone else because I was like, who's voice? 
voice is this? And it was Dave Franco. And then I saw fucking Barba. And you I were couldn't like, believe it. A Raul Esperanza, a.k.a. Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I got um I got really um excited. That sounds like a cute little tattoo, a cute little rich mouse voiced by Raul Esparza. No, if I got a Bojack <laughs> tattoo, I have like a billion things before that. Unfortunately, <laughs> before the cute mouse. It is one of my favorite shows. I do have an original artwork from Lisa Hanwalt, who um is the head drawer and designer of that show. And when I messaged her to buy pr- uh, private art, I was like, I want this Bojack. This, this. She goes, I don't sell Bojack art. Relax. Uh, you can buy this <laughs> slutty horse. And I bought the slutty horse. But um, yeah, I, I bet she's holding on tight. Yeah. Well, she can't sell Bojack art, right? Oh. Because it's like, it's like, it's licensed. And I this leads me into another thing where like people are always like writing us, being like, you guys need to like put um do the sex crime shirt or do like this or that and it's like we can't do a lot of this shit because we don't want to get sued you know what i mean like we can't put benson and stabler like fucking on a t-shirt i know people want that but like we can't (laughs) speaking of stabler and fucking i think you know where i'm going oh god yes hot because i've been on a little anti-stabler train i would say for the past couple months and that's over Okay, yeah. that is over. That interview magazine photo shoot. He's 60 years old and he is the hottest person in the fucking planet. And I just love the color of that green tank top he's wearing. I just think that's like such a hot shirt. And like, I'm like, I would wear it, but also I love you. Like, I, I, it's all great. It's all really good looking. The apple shit. biting, the pizza. I mean, it's hot. Well, I thought about you when I saw the pizza because I was like, this guy does not eat fucking pizza. This, he does not look like this at this age eating pizza and you asked him on Twitter, what are your favorite like cheese and chocolate? And he was like, fuck that shit. (laughs) So like, I don't think he's eating pizza, but I bet, I bet you, I bet you he had a spit bucket at the, at the, thing yeah but even like super fitness people they do say um you know cheat meals cheat days treat days are good for your body so i'm sure yeah. he has like a pizza when he's at a knicks game or something like I, maybe a hot dog he seemed like he had a real reaction to it when you asked about it <laughs> yeah no it's true well because you know my fitness girl mari that i follow nonstop, i'm obsessed with she's always like you gotta have fun or no, it's right. not, nothing's worth it if you're not doing it. No, of so. course. Yeah. You gotta live. You gotta live. Um, yeah. But thank you everybody who sent it to us. Obviously we had already been drooling over it, but we appreciate everybody thinking of us when they see a zaddy picture of Maloney, of course. And I got a message from um, a gay man who was like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He, <laughs> want, he wants to be like gay daddy number one. And I go, he doesn't have to try. He had Oz. He he was yeah. doing full on gay sex scenes before like before anybody, I would say he was full dick out in Oz. So yes. he does. You know, he's the original daddy. I don't know. Totally. He's fucking hot. It's amazing. I just can't believe him <laughs> and BD Wong are 60. It's truly amazing. It's really like you guys your best years are yet to come because these guys look fucking great, <laughs> but you got to work it. Oh, I went back to soul cycle. I was actually having a really depressed uh, day last Saturday and I just like couldn't get out of bed and didn't want to do anything. And then on Instagram, I saw spice girls ride 4 PM and guess what? That got me out of bed. Yes, baby. I haven't been in that soul cycle since March, 2020. It was outside masked and there was a listener there and she came up, she goes, they kept calling you Liza, but I knew it was you. And, <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> we talked in the elevator and it was exciting to have a messed up listener at SoulCycle. All my interests colliding. And then I got to go to Phil's Coffee, Emma Chamberlain's favorite coffee in L.A. And I was like, I I like LA. I, Okay, I saw your story. <laughs> yeah, you're living your Emma Chamberlain fantasy and I love it. Yeah, I mean, because I get back from New York being like, I've ruined my life. What happened? What did I do? And now I'm like, okay. I can. I like it. I like it. I like it. LA is good too. It is. It's just, I feel like a queen in New York and here I feel like a peasant, <laughs> like a peasant in New York. Everyone's clamoring to get to me. They're like, will you do my show? And here people are like, you can't go early. Everyone else asked to. And I'm like, do you know who the fuck I am? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I am nobody. <laughs> I live in a room. Um, Wait, do you want to talk about your new, the new addition to your family, the, your new purchase? I don't even remember what you I got a car. Oh yeah. 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 I'm looking around my home. I'm like, what did I buy? <laughs> what did I get? I'm like my smart suites. Okay. Um, I did get a car. It was amazing. I got a Nissan Sentra. It's burgundy. And I know it's a really basic name, but I'm calling her Ruby. <laughs> It's all that's feeding my soul is to call her Ruby. She's so cool. I love having a screen. I listen to podcasts and Miley Cyrus and I love driving. (laughs) Kara lives three blocks away from me and I have driven to her house now multiple times. Uh, Any excuse uh, to drive, I will do it. And it's it's a game changer. I obviously thank you, Kara and her husband for providing me with their car for so long to borrow. But it is a game changer to have your own car. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted an avocado. Guess what? I went and got an avocado. You know, it's like, it's, it's amazing. Um, but I did get bullied at one at a car dealership. Yeah. And then my friend slash manager negotiated my deal at another dealership for me. <laughs> Cause she <laughs> is, she is truly a 360 manager. She, yeah. Like, but she told me she did this not because she's my manager, but because she loves me. So that is nice. Well, and I think she also loves the art of the deal. Yes, that is. Yeah. Not I, Donald Trump, but or whatever. <laughs> who is that who wrote that? Whatever. No, 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 she no. just like loves making deals. She's good at it. And her dad likes making deals. She's a deal maker and she got me a great deal. And I'm going to, I have to still do my pretty woman moment. I want to show up at the other dealership and say big mistake. Big just mistake. go by and honk and lean out of the car. I like that. But my fun story is there's a little container area. We'll post it on the gram, but there is a little <laughs> hole. This is so fucking crazy. There is a little hole area um, next to in the middle console. And I turned to this person and I go, oh, is this for like dipping sauces? And he went, this is to put your key. And so <laughs> Lisa thought that there was a allotted area next to the gear shift of the car where you put your dipping sauces from fast food places. Well, it's too good because uh, Shark Tank does, you know, I, there are products that you clip on. So I was like, oh, they know we want to dip fries while driving safely <laughs> while we're on road trips. Um, but it is for your key. Cause my car now has a button. You don't put the key in the ignition. So you put, Oh gosh, those are so scary to me because I always feel like I've, I've rented those before and I've left the car running. I've just like gotten <laughs> out of the car and like left the car running. Yeah. But it's cool. It beeps. If anyone's on the other side of you, it lights up. It's been, um, yeah, the maps right there. It's really a game changer. It's crazy because I feel like even like six years ago when I started looking for cars, like you could still get roll down windows. You could still get like just no console screen. Like, and now it's like even like the most affordable cars have like good shit, which is great. Yeah, it's um really awesome. And it makes me feel like an adult. I mean, 
life's just more as a kid. I was like, of course, I'll have a house. You know, you don't think (laughs) you don't think how hard it is to do stuff. I have such a different view of my parents and anyone that like raises anyone in this country. I'm just like, I didn't realize how expensive life. And I know things are different now, but it's hard. When I met my husband, I was like, I mean, my goal is obviously to just like live in a brownstone in New York City. Like, and I was like, oh, those are five million (laughs) dollars. Like, I just had no concept. No, it is really wild. Um, Do you have any updates on your baby or your life or the house? I mean, he's good. The baby is good. He's just barfing all the time. And but he's really good. He's easy to deal with. And he's good. I love him. Um, So I had a play date with Rosie. I think the listeners would like to know that since she was requesting it. And when I said when I was leaving, I was like, give me a hug. And she ran into my arms. It was really cute. Bounced. It was really cute. She truly loves Lisa. It's, um, it's baffling. I don't, I don't, I mean, not, (laughs) there's nothing wrong, but it's like, it's just who they choose to glom onto is so funny because it's like, but she does love that you gave her a Daniel Tiger doll. So that might be part of it. Yeah. And my spirit's good. I also wanted to say we went to a mutual friend's birthday picnic at a park type situation. Yes. And through Kara's friends, I met Michael, Mm -hmm. the man who designed Simone's red nail dress. Mm-hmm. And Shea Coulee's bodysuit, and I cornered him. You can't corner someone because it's an open park, but I cornered him. I found a way. <laughs> I looked back at one point and I was like, Michael, have you guys just been talking about drag race for 45 minutes? And he was like, Yep. <laughs> but he seemed happy. He was yeah. happy. I never stopped asking questions. I'm like, Have you ever rejected a queen who wanted you to make her a dress? And it was like, I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stop. But it was, you know, and it's nice to be in LA and meet someone like that. Yeah. It's cool. No, and he's great. And we'll hang out with him again. He's a old pal of mine since uh drag con three years ago um but listen speaking of shea coulee we just want to give you guys one last plug for our live show it is tomorrow june 16th uh wednesday listen it's at 7 p.m pacific 10 p.m eastern you can figure out your time zone on the internet but if you can't make it which is totally understandable when you buy a ticket a ten dollar ticket gets you a link that is good for a week. You can watch it. You can pause it. You can stop and start, go do your thing, come back to it, watch it four times, whatever. So just saying, if you're like, oh my God, somebody wrote, I have my Shakespearean D and D game that night. Okay, go do that. But you also can watch it another time and still get a ticket. So yeah. And we're going to have merch giveaways and a very special guest, Shay Coulee, a bunch of amazing comedians who we love that are going to be playing some SVU trivia with us. And it's going to be so fun. So, yeah, we're doing I mean, we're pushing the limits of technology <laughs> effort, streaming. I mean, I am so panicked. I have not read one email. I just Kara has been doing. I just can't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope you guys know that this is pushing the limits of my skills and I am so nervous, but excited, but it is so hard. I like, I'm like, <laughs> what kind of camera do we need? I, I yeah. yeah but, just um, so you know, we're working hard for you guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so at least just come to the damn live show, or, you know, watch it later. All right, let's get going. Cause we have a great episode and interview and everything today. So let's, let's uh, start it off. 
All right. So we are doing Collateral Damages, Season 17, Episode 15. Um, and we open up on a promotional event at a brown sugar barbecue sauce. I don't know if it's the restaurant or the sauce, but we're at a barbecue joint. And I'm curious to know where they filmed this because I feel like I have been here. It felt like the Brother Jimmy's in Union Square yes, to me. That's what I wrote. I go to that Union Square place. That's what it felt like to me, but I cannot be positive. How many other multi-level barbecue joints are there in New York? Yes, it is multi-level. I've done comedy downstairs. There are multiple rooms downstairs. Oh, I did comedy behind the glass doors of like their fake garage. Okay, so we've (laughs) both been to this brown sugar barbecue. Um, And there's an old man there. He's a boxer. He has a giant belt buckle. And I really can't focus on anything but the belt buckle. I mean, he also (laughs) has a gray little patch of hair in his hair. So I've looked at that as well. And then Rollins comes in. And we could tell she's undercover. Her name is Crystal. You could always tell she's undercover because she's wearing like a leopard jacket or something like wild that she would never wear. Yeah, she's always <laughs> like, okay, we need someone to flirt and be a slut. Rollins. And like, <laughs> she's ready to go. And she has like giant loose curls, half up, half down, prom 2003 style. Like, this is what you wore to prom 20 years ago. <laughs> And Brown Sugar Man, thrilled to see her. He's like, Crystal. And she's with a super young looking teen blonde girl who I'm going to assume is undercover as well. And assume means I have seen this multiple times. I know who it is. She's undercover. Basically, the story is that this is Crystal's niece, Amber, and her mom has been sick. So her aunt wanted to take her on a fun time to meet Teddy Hawkins, a boxer who now, um, you know, invests into restaurants, which is a usual pro athlete move. You invest in restaurants or car dealerships or become a spokesperson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I felt like very George Foreman at the beginning of this. Um, not that George Foreman has committed any crimes, just that he is. Uh, he did take over our world, I feel like. I yes. Feel like he changed the way we lived. Um, <laughs> and Benson and Finn are sitting at a table watching. Carisi's at the bar. He calls him Big Teddy. I liked that. And then so we know this is like a big operation. They're all there checking it out. And Teddy gets Long Island iced teas for his blonde friends. This just suddenly made me want a Long Island iced tea. I feel like I want that to be my first drink when I start getting drunk again. Okay. I could do that for you. <laughs> okay. That's through my actually. So two years ago, the pandemic obviously fucked with timelines, but my sister came. Basically, she had a Long Island iced tea. We went to a giant theater where I was doing a charity event. Um, And when we walked in, the security was like, who are you? What's up? And I'm like, I'm on the show. You got to be nicer to us. And then she puked in a trash can. And... <laughs> From one Long Island. And it made it um, harder to be respected and like a producer to come and grab me because security's like, we can't let these old bitches puking like be led into this charity event. (laughs) Shout out to Chris Red. It was his show. Um, so this is my favorite. It's a giant necklace that Rollins is wearing is the camera. And it's just like a Luan Delicep style necklace. And, um, I call this the Simpsons rule. Cause like, um, Homer wears a giant hat into the quickie mart and records it. And it's just, <laughs> I love, I just love hidden cameras and giant, giant things that are obviously not like the other things. I I had a friend who was like sort of like going undercover for a weird thing. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to get her in trouble. It's kind of specific. But she wore like a button cam. She wore like a cam, like a button on a shirt that was a camera. Okay. I mean, we're going to have some questions. Okay. You're... (laughs) 
Um, and I am wondering how long has she been undercover? Cause he trusts her so hard. Yeah. It's, it is like, she's known him for a while or in a weird way. Yeah. So Teddy takes the girls, um, downstairs and he's like, come to the office. Like, let's have a good time. And in the office, Teddy asks the niece, like, how old are you? She does say 16. So he knows that she is 16 years old. This does not stop him. And, um, then it like classic, like, oh, you want to be a model? I'll take photos of you. Okay. Get on the couch, stretch a little, open your blouse. And then, uh, Finn is watching this all on an iPhone upstairs and he's snacking. And then she takes takes off her bra. And then I really didn't love this, but he starts, um, I would be fucked if I loved it, but he unbuckles <laughs> his, um, like belt buckle and get, and says, get on your knees, little girl. And I hated it. And then Amanda Ew. takes out her gun and says, NYPD. And the rest of the squad comes in and he's being taken in for attempted rape. So this is awesome. And Rollins is the senior cop, I guess at this point. So she tells the teen passing officer like, Hey honey, stay in this job long enough and all your heroes die so cool and then it is the credits baby and we return with the treat of all treats we have Susie Essman love Teddy's lawyer and we're obsessed with her obviously she's a hero for I don't know Jews with curly hair no for everybody She is a um, comedy legend. Uh, so Carisi and Rollins are the detective duo in charge here. And Teddy says that his plan was he was testing Rollins and he was collecting evidence and just testing how far they would go before he made a citizen's arrest. And I love an outlandish lie. OK, Teddy, <laughs> Teddy, Teddy. Come on, guy. My guy. Come on. Uh, Barbara and Benson are spying behind the mirror and they're discussing what's up. And then we have Josh Pius. Payus, whatever. Josh comes in as Hank Abraham. And Hank is usually a fucking asshole, but we get a little twist from him and he's like, oh, great job, you guys. You got him on attempted rape. What about child porn? What's the child porn thing? And Benson said Taru uh, found some bad websites on worker servers, but they can't prove that he went to them. And Hank's like, okay, okay, okay. Well, why don't we make an example out of him? Good work. Let's do a perp walk, splash him on cable news and like, great job so benson and barbara are shocked because they never get compliments from him he's usually an asshole so what's up but you know maybe he hates teddy and i don't know maybe he's like racist on top of being an asshole yeah oh i was thinking like more gambling like if teddy's up but teddy's (laughs) retired nothing makes sense but it is yeah everyone's confused um so back into the interrogation room amanda brings up a great point and she goes listen The girl told you she was 16 and you kept going. So what's up with that, bro? And then Benson walks in and says, hey, get ready for your perp walk and threatens him. Like, we're going to get the news. You're going to be everywhere and everyone's going to know what's up with you. Shame on you. And so he starts whispering to Susie because he knows something's up. And also Amanda has like beautiful bangs and a tight little bun. It's kind of my dream look. Like I love a messy bun in the back with like cute Cinderella bangs. So anyways, Teddy (laughs) says. Um, if you don't get do the perp walk and all this publicity for me, I will expose an online pedophile ring. And then it stops. And then we go, I, uh, 
I just could not care less. But we go to senior Dodds and junior Dodds at the gym and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Like daddy Dodds is like, oh, I can get you higher. Climb the ladder. Do what I say. And he's like, I don't know. I love SVU. So they're just having a weird fucking relationship. Grow up. Stop listening to your dad. We go back to Teddy and he speaks in third person, which I think is psychotic. And he goes, Teddy wants to do the right thing. His lies keep getting better and better. Basically, he says, people send me stuff because I'm so popular, but I don't look at them, but I know what's up. So he's incredible. He should. Uh, I want to play two truths and a lie with this guy. <laughs> So Teddy also says, like, I don't think you should arraign me or anything because then the pedophiles will know I've been arrested. So, like, you should wait to announce that I've been arrested. And also the juicy stuff gets posted right after midnight. So they're going to do stings on all these online pedophile people at, in the middle of the night. And then um, we cut to, you know, knocking down doors. So um, they're arresting pedophiles right as they're on their computers doing pedophile stuff. And then one guy one of the pedophiles is like you can't be in here and finn just goes shut up and it was awesome <laughs> this is actually an awesome iced tea episode i would say so carisi and rollins enter a home of a super old man he can barely move he's like what's a computer like he doesn't <laughs> yeah he truly is like a laptop what <laughs> He does not know technology. They're like, where's your modem? And he goes, what the fuck is a modem? Like, he doesn't know. <laughs> so Carisi finds a mode, like all these modems and tech things inside of a closet. And he explains, the old man explains, oh, my neighbor is using that. I don't know what it is. And they follow the cables. And basically, all the modems are being rerouted to next door. Diabolical. Okay, this is this is intense. So next door, um, who lives there, the old man says, us, you know, family with two kids. They knock on the door. It's Pippa Cox. Okay. Whoa. And Rollins is like counselor. So then they have to do a cover story because they respect Pippa Cox. Um, she is a defense attorney that we've seen. And I don't she, know. And she works with child services. So she has like probably one of these like harder, more like heroic law jobs, right? Where she's like helping kids in the system. The actress who plays Pippa Cox is named Jessica Phillips. We've seen her a couple of other times. She was in, I think she was in institutional fail really quickly. Yeah, she's in yeah. a handful of stuff. We like her. She, at all accounts, she's not like, you know, uh, one of the defense attorneys were like, oh, this slime ball. Yeah. Like, it's not one she's of those no situations. She's no Buchanan. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Rollins does a quick, like, quick story and was like, ah, something with, we need signals, like burying the lead. Like she's not telling her what's up. And they asked like, Hey, do you have a computer we can use and some Wi-Fi?" And she goes, of course. And she opens these French doors and it's Hank Abraham. He's married to Pippa Cox. This is insane. Who would marry this asshole? Especially someone as like nice and dedicated to helping people as Pippa. Um, and so everyone's like deputy commissioner. And he like closes the pedophile stuff for really quickly and there's a family photo on the background of his computer so you know svu is doing some they're making a point okay 
He's watching children be abused, but the background of his computer is his family with his and own his children. And his children are asleep in the next room. Like, it's pretty fucked up. It's very fucked up. And Pippa is like, what is this? And Hank is like, get out of here. Finn and Olivia meet outside. Tucker shows up. It's a party. And um, I really love Tucker. He's like, Jesus, marry a Joseph. Like, he can't <laughs> believe it. He's like, I know you try to fuck with my life all the time, but this, you gotta do this. And Tucker says, I I never liked him. Olivia goes, no one fucking likes him. He's an angry prick. Um, they explain to Tucker that, you know, Pippa, his wife, protects children. This is really weird. And Benson is going to give him some dignity and says, like, let's not cuff him in front of his kids. We're going to, like, be nice to him. So they go back to inside the house and he... He's like cocky. I don't think he realizes in how much trouble he is. And this is kind of a running theme through the whole episode where he keeps just being in denial of what is truly going on and thinks he can fuck with the system because he's probably done it before plenty of times. So he goes, I'm the chairman of the co-op. Like, you got to respect me. It's like, that's the least of your problems, bro. <laughs> And then he says, call, he tells Pippa, like, call Kressler, tell him to meet me at the precinct. So he's getting one of the scumbag attorneys to help him. So Roger Kressler is the attorney. Um, Hank is shocked when the door opens, like, to lead him out. And there's 25 cops just waiting to search the house. And he goes, really? You, you're doing this to me? But whatever. So then Pippa sees Olivia. And gets really happy, not happy, I would say, relieved, like, oh, thank God you're here. No one is giving me a straight answer. And Benson is trying to be compassionate, but they have work to do. She goes, we need to search her house. You need to pack your bags, take the kids and leave. And that's the only way to do it. And on the way out, the little kid is like, oh, a doggy and starts petting the dog. And Finn's like, I'm sorry, you can't play with the dog right now, because as we all know, working dogs cannot be chatting. They cannot be playing. They have a job to do. Working jobs, working dogs are working dogs. They got shit to to do you cannot be chatting you they can't they have to be so serious at work and that's like hard whenever i see a service dog it takes a lot of a lot of effort not to want to touch them because they're usually really nice golden retrievers and who doesn't want to touch a golden retriever right. um <laughs> and then this was a creative move I've never seen before where the screen becomes like the viewer of an old school video camera and it says like wreck with low battery and they basically have to record everything because it needs to be by the book, by the book, by the book. If you want to play a drinking game this episode, put by the book on this. They say it <laughs> so many times you will get wasted, um, but they know that he knows all the legal mumbo jumbo. So like they have to make sure everything's by the book. So they're rolling, they're looking for stuff and they find two flash drives that are taped to the bottom of his underwear drawer. That is the money evidence. Right. So Hank and Kressler are in the fishbowl while Barbara Tucker and Benson are in the spy room. And, they find out that the flash drives came back and it's hardcore pedophile porn. <sighs> Barbara's trying to poke holes and make sure that the case is airtight and talk. And then Tucker drops a bomb where Hank is using the same password for his pedophile stuff as his NYPD password. So things are just getting more and more deep with evidence where there's no way to kind of lie your way out of this. Barba wants to make sure Pippa didn't know about this. And Benson says there is no way because Pippa walked them straight into the den. If she knew her husband was a pedophile, she wouldn't be like, yeah, come on in. You know what I mean? Like, right. She would have been like, do you have a warrant? You know, like, yeah, she led them right to him. 
Yeah. Um, and then Pippa also has to bring the kids to be interviewed and she's kind of fighting it a little bit and is in denial and wants to be there. And Benson says, no, you know, that's not how interviews work. So she's really going through. Everyone's going through it. This you could tell everyone is having a lot of feelings, even the cops, Tucker, everybody. She's really good in this episode, this actress, I feel like, because you're really feeling like what it would be like to be blindsided by the behavior or like the crime that your spouse, like this person that you're sharing your life with is committing, right? Like she's really, you're really like seeing the panic and then the anger and the frustration. Like she's really good. Yeah. And then Hank is very much like, this isn't what you think. This is a political takedown. He's in denial. Pippa's scared. She, everyone's in denial, honestly. So Hank is now trying to like blame the modem and that the porn just popped up. And well, exactly when the detectives came in, he's embarrassed. It'll never happen again. And Tucker's not having it. And this is honestly the sexiest I've ever thought Tucker was. Like, I'm very attracted to him. His voice mm -hmm. is really deep. He leans in. He's about to i don't know he's really hot here um and then so he reveals that the same username and password was on the night before for over an hour and 19 hours in the past week like this is criminal and i understand that but even if this was like full-on legal missionary plain vanilla softcore porn 19 hours a week is a lot <laughs> yeah that's when you lot. have a full-time job and kids and yeah you're you're carving out a lot of time for porn and that's a lot yeah so then you know hank is still in denial and then barbara's like well what can who are you going to blame for the flash drives we found and that's when hank i think realizes he's been gotten because he great acting this dude fucking acts his ass off and you can tell like and the camera angles like the director did a great job as well like everything's closing in on him and he looks panicked and worried and it's just like an impressive scene um so then we go back and Pippa has negotiated because she's the mother and the lawyer that she gets to watch as the her kids are being investigated in those child interrogation rooms. Um, so Rollins is with the little girl and Carisi is with the boy. And they really they really try to tease you here. Um, but thank God. The kids are not being molested by their father, but they really like push you to the end. And everyone is like, oh, thank God at the yeah. end. Yeah. And they're like, my daddy does one bad thing. <laughs> he yells at me sometimes. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so they're at court at there's court games happening. The judge is explaining to Hank like everything that's about to happen, like what the bail is, that if he gets bail, he has to be at home. He can't be with his kids, like all the rules um, and just breaks it all down to him. And then after that court procedure, the like on the way out, Pippa's walking out and every, people like the media are screaming, your, is your husband a pedophile? Which is rude. Do, did you did they expect her to stop and answer? Like, I don't understand. I mean, the media is extremely rude. They're extremely rude. I told you, like, I didn't I tell you one time I was in the media box at the VMAs because I was did social media for MTV. And I actually I don't want to brag, but I posted the first photo of uh, Beyonce announcing her pregnancy with Blue Ivy. I tweeted it for the MTV account and it was like retweeted like a million times or something. I was there next to paparazzi and people would come out. And I know this is different than like being at a court, but still people would come out. They were so excited. They were like on the VMAs red carpet, people from like MTV shows and stuff. And they'd go, who are you? Like they would just yell the rudest questions. Like I was like, I am with scum right now. Like I remember thinking these are the worst people. 
Listen, they didn't. That's the PR person's fault. They, there should have been a paper passed out to everyone with everyone's names on it. <laughs> um, for our listeners who do our drinking game, that is a place to drink because Kara just revealed another job that no one knew she had. <laughs> you have had so many jobs. It is insane. What is your life? <laughs> I did know about that job. That was my one claim to fame was like, I was like, I, t- I, I was on the walkie with my, my boss who was an asshole. And I go, Beyonce just said she's pregnant. He goes, how do you know? And I'm like, cause I'm a fucking person with eyes and she's cradling her belly and everyone's going fucking insane. And he was like, you shouldn't tweet it until you know. And I was like, I'm tweeting it. And I just tweeted it. I was, I was like, you're the worst person. Did he admit his mistakes? <sighs> Never. He did try to, he did kiss me on the cheek when the ratings were really good the next day. And I was really annoyed. Jeez. Yeah, he sucked. So Pippa and Benson start fighting after the media circus. And Pippa's like, how, how did you do this to me? There could have been so many other ways. And it's like, they didn't know it was your house, bitch. Like they thought it was your neighbor. Like, no, this isn't a takedown. This wasn't planned. No one wanted to come into your house in the middle of the night. And no one wanted your husband to be a pedophile. I mean, no. And she's obviously lashing out and try to place, trying to place blame other places, you know, like. Yeah, because you don't want to just look at it and be like, oh, I've just been living with a pedophile for X amount of years or whatever. So Pippa then says that she's been asked uh, to go on leave for her job pending a transfer where she can no longer work with any children or any victims of sex crimes. She screams and she's like, I'm not all right. I'm not okay. The kids are not all right. Um, It has to be payback. Who put you up to this? What else can it be? And Benson is just like Pippa. And she starts crying and falls into Benson's arms as she cries. And it's a touching moment um, between them. But I mean, it's the moment she really realizes, like, take away all these other like accusations and all these other theories. Like, and it's just the theory that's right in front of you, which is that your husband is guilty. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's tough. So Barbara visits Hank and Kressler at the house and Hank is now like clawing at a different way to deal with this. And he's like, honestly, thank you for arresting me. I needed it. I'm an addict. I need help. I was, you know, trying to fight it, but I was too ashamed. I'm speaking to a rehabilitation center and Barbara goes, nah, bro, it's not that simple. Like it's not going to happen. Hank says, no, I know these are serious issues I have work to do, but I just need help. And Barbara's like, no, no. <laughs> Like if even if I try to give you a deal, the feds will not. He go, and Hank says the feds. He goes, yes, you're a man in the government. Like, wh- of course, you're getting 20 to 30 years in jail. That is what is happening. There's no more games. And Hank turns to Kressler and goes, is he bluffing? And Kressler goes, no, you did bad things. <laughs> like, is I can I just don't know how he's in denial. Like. Bro, come on. You're in the industry. Like, you know what's up. There is no deal to be made. You have multiple hard drives. I mean, it's like like fully privilege-fueled denial as well. Because it's like, I I couldn't possibly be going to jail. I'm me. I'm a powerful white man. Like, what, you know, like, he's basically just like, there's got to be a way around this. It's like, no, dude, there's not. Yeah, 19 hours a week, that's hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year. Like, sorry. Um, so Hank finally is like, how did you get onto me? Oh, someone turned me in to save their own ass. And Barbara says, yes. So 
Hank, you know, he, like I said, he understands the business, the industry. It's not a business. I mean, it shouldn't be a business. <laughs> it's a business. I don't know. Um, but pedophiles also aren't trustworthy. Like you can't just be trusting other pedophiles, right? Like, of course, someone's going to turn you in to save their own ass. And Hank knows who it is. He goes, oh, it's Teddy Hawkins. And he goes, I, I can give you secrets too. And Barbara says, we don't need anything from you. You are bad. So Barbara says, we don't really actually need anything from you unless you can help us find the producers. And this shows like the brain damage that's happening here. Like Hank legit is like, ew, if I knew anyone like the producers, I would have turned them into the feds myself. If you think that I knew someone was hurting kids, they're the worst people ever. I would have done something about it. Like he truly is so deep. Like what is it? Compartmentalized. Yeah. Like he does not understand it. And Barbara says what we're all thinking. Like, <laughs> you know, the kids you're watching in the like you're watching crime scenes of children you understand that you are yeah, watching like they're not acting yeah and hank keeps being like i was never in the room when it happened i was a parent and barbara says there is no you do keep calling made. barbara barbara you know that no i didn't realize that <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't hear it at all this whole time yeah, most of this episode. And in another episode, you did it a couple times, but I was like, is she stopping? And now this episode, it's really, we're on a Barbara train. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Well, thank God I'm not calling him Babar, because that's what I think about every time. Um. Okay. So basically, Barbara... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Barba, 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 Barba. So Barba <laughs> um, says, listen, there's no deal to be had. Hank says there's always a deal to be had. Barba says, focus on your family because your friends are going to ditch you if they already haven't. Like everyone's right. going to turn their backs on you. Plead guilty, serve your time and spare your family any more pain. Hank says, please leave me alone and kicks Kressler and Barba out and says, get out, get out, get out. And um, he's just on the couch and pissed and has to think about it. <sighs> I love what you I love your notes, Lisa. They're so funny. <laughs> Benson and in a sling, baby Dodd. <laughs> so Benson is with baby Dodds and he has a sling on and Benson has a really cute beanie and winter wear to the max. Like I'm obsessed with Benson right now. And they're talking about Dodd's future. I don't care. Do you care? <laughs> no, I don't care. I, I mean, I don't understand. I, I mean, did I shed a tear when Brad Garrett killed him? Sure. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering if like that they're they're putting these scenes in to sort of get try to get us to care about him so that knowing that they were sort of going to have this climactic, like horrible, tragic death for him. So it's like, but he wanted to stay with SVU. He was like an SVU at heart, you know, like so that it makes it like sadder when he. I don't know. I'm I'm spitballing. I obviously wasn't in the writer's room, but like, you know, it didn't work for me. I just don't care about the Dodds thing. Like, I don't just, you're a grown man. Stop listening to your daddy. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Like grow up. <laughs> um, and then after Benson, you know, has to do college counseling to Dodds, um, <laughs> she is busy and has to do some social work with Pippa. And <sighs> you could tell Pippa's going through it. She's in a sweatshirt. Her hair is in a bun and she's drinking white wine. She's like pandemic chic before pandemic chic existed she's in a hotel she misses her kids they, you know she sent the kids away to be with grandparents and um 
which is a good, good call. Um, and Pippa's mother is blaming her, which is so sad, but she's like, you do this for a living. How did you not suspect it? Which of course that's how we should all be like, I, I, we would all be thinking that. Um, and Benson goes, men who do this have to hide it and they get very good at it. Pippa has been, you know, slept with him for 12 years and this sucks. This sucks. She's, yeah. She calls herself stupid. Of course, she's going to think that. And there's really nothing to say to make her feel better. It's like these kind of things make me really happy that I have like all of my husband's passwords. I he doesn't know how to hide anything. He's so bad at keeping secrets or like he can't like hide a secret when he goes to McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like he just I. I feel blessed that I am fully I could steal his identity in a minute and like move to Mexico. Well, it's kind of what Coco says about Ice-T. Someone asked her, how do you feel that Ice-T plays video games so much? She goes, at least I know where my man is. I don't care. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Benson and Barba are drinking scotch in the office discussing the case. So, you know, this case is really affecting them because they're going to the hard booze, hard booze in the office. Uh, Barbara gets a call that Hank Abraham has slashed his wrists. Commercial break. Okay. Um, then they're in the hospital and Pippa's there and lets Benson know that he's going to make it. She found him on the bathroom floor and she stopped in to just grab some things for the kids and she didn't stop in. He would be dead. Um, no, but Pippa says she doesn't want to lose him and she want, you know, she wanted to save him. So, uh, the Dodds met her at the bar and they're listening to Susie Essman on the screen of a television talking about Teddy's case on the news. And he pled out on a misdemeanor. He's starting a fund to help victims and he got six months at most and hank is looking at super hard time i don't know what that means i don't feel bad for hank like do i want teddy to go to jail too sure but this doesn't make me feel bad for hank that he got caught you know he's a bad guy right and i'm sure all of you are smart listeners you've caught on but it makes sense the hank abraham cameo in the top of the episode rushing in being like any child porn information you know so yes. we know why he was interested in nailing teddy so again we get the dods baby dods papa dods and he's like i want to stay at svu and the dad goes come on move up the ladder and he goes no i'm gonna help people so we're at supreme court it's sunday february 14th so it's Sunday at court, which is always weird. And it's Valentine's Day, which is one of my favorite holidays. Hank's eyes are red. Is it an honor of Valentine's Day? Maybe. No, I'm kidding. He's upset. <laughs> His eyes are like creepy red. They're like really, really bloodshot. Yeah, he's been crying. Um, he pleads guilty. Thank goodness. Um, he does a speech. He apologizes. He says, I'm sorry, that's an apology. So then... Barba asks for a deal that I'm kind of shocked by, which is um, he would get four years per count, but he asks the court for Hank to be able to serve it concurrently, which means he's only getting a four years in prison, which I guess Hank's right. There's always a deal to be made. Damn. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously going to serve it in protective custody and then be on the registry for a minimum of 20 years. Uh, Pippa and Benson watch and she says he's still my husband and we still have two children. And Benson says, I get it. You know, I get it. Um, and then we leave the courtroom and I'm really glad we get a nice little sexual ending. Um, Tucker and Benson are walking in like super cold weather and they're going to go have a nightcap. And they link arms and they walk on off together, starting their romance. That's the beginning of 
Tuxin? Is that what the fans call it? <laughs> I, don't I think know. that's what the fans call it. But yeah, it's weird that he only got four years, but I'm glad he got caught. And I wonder if the other pedophiles that they caught that same night are going to get a deal like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, collateral damages. Let's hear what's up, Kara. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. First off, I want to just talk about how when we pick an episode of this show to do, sometimes it's like very obvious what the crime is. You know, like there's obviously a Woody Allen episode. There's obviously a Michael Jackson episode. Like there's just some that are just the crime is screaming at you. But then others, we have to look a little bit more deeply to find like what case is connected based on like the time the episode came out, like what was in the press, similarities, et cetera. But in this case, I was fully prepared to research a different issue a different crime like of a of this child pornography ring um because that's kind of what internet some internet sources had told me oh this episode's based on this and then we ended up talking to our guest who I will not reveal yet who was able to give us the true tea and tell us what headline this case was ripped from and that is Jared from Subway this is bam, the Jared bam, from Subway <laughs> this is the Jared from Subway episode which i did not know that that needs to be updated in the wiki fandom for uh svu if you're one of their editors please get on it um first of all lisa i'd like to ask you about your relationship with subway have you are you have you are, are you a current subway enjoyer are you a past subway enjoyer i was hoping we would talk about our subway orders okay so <laughs> I get the tuna or the veggie patty, which are really weird choices, I think. But as a child, I think it's because my like sister's husband was kosher. So that's why I got the non-meat stuff. So I love tuna <laughs> because I love mayonnaise and it's amazing. And then the veggie patty with sweet onion sauce is so fucking good. And I love that Italian urban cheese bread. I love chips. I love sometimes getting a Powerade. I love Subway, but I have not been in a few years, I would say. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't been to a subway in probably like 10 years, but in my hometown growing up, there were like almost no chains. Like we had a, we had a Starbucks and a Dunkin' that were like going at each other for the coffee. And then subway was like the only chain. And it was like, as a high school or middle schooler, that was like what I could afford. So I would, I was there all the time. I fucking loved the BLT. I loved the BMT. So you're steering clear of the deli meats. I'm getting as many deli meats as possible into my mouth. Did you see the news, though? Sorry that the tuna is not tuna. It came out like two months ago. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Okay. just making sure. I forgot. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, I did. They said the tuna wasn't tuna. Yeah. What is it? A mixture of various concoctions is literally. Stop. I can't. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's what it says. The commercials were huge. Like the $5 foot long. That changed the game of restaurants. I mean, I don't know. Like that deal was huge. Yeah, well, we'll get into what actually got them huge, okay? So, speaking of loving Subway, we all know the biggest lover of Subway of all time was famously Jared Fogle, who was a Subway spokesperson and noted sex offender who became a massive punchline for a few years. And I kind of knew this story. I'm sure we all know the story, but, like, I I just never took a deep dive into it, so this is that. Um... Jared Fogle is unfortunately one of us, a chosen person, a Jew. Uh, I didn't know that. You didn't know Jared Fogle was a Jew. I don't think of Jared as a Jewish name. I'm married to a Jared. You're right. Maybe it's the Fogel. <laughs> Maybe the Fogel should have tipped me off, but I wasn't sure. Um, he was born and raised in Indianapolis. I've never even been there, but one of our best friends is from there. And I do. So I do feel like I know a little bit about it. I've been to Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah, her parents took me to a Greek restaurant on the water and it was delicious. (laughs) I also one time was booked to perform at a venue and then they canceled the shows because Kelly Clarkson was going to be there instead. Oh, you got bumped by Kelly Clarkson. That's (laughs) pretty fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) So Jared was a student at Indiana University at Bloomington and he weighed, you know, 425 pounds. He was very overweight um, and this was concerning to him. So he began a self-style diet where he walked to Subway and only ate their low calorie options, eliminating your and my favorite condiment mayo eating smaller portions, and he started exercising more. Um, He ended up losing 245 pounds in 11 months, more than half his body weight. So I forgot who told me this. I don't know if it's someone that went to school with it or whatnot, but they said that this whole story is a lie and he went to Subway because it was close to his house and he was just lazy. No, it was, it was close to his house. Actually, like I read in another thing that he was, that it was like a built, he moved off campus and there was a subway nearby. So he would walk there, but I don't think it was like he was walking 10 miles through snow, getting steps. Like, <laughs> no. I think he just was walking to subway and getting the, but he eating the low calorie meals, he ended up losing, you know, half his body weight. And then someone who lived in his dorm wrote an article about him in the school paper, which I wrote for my school paper. None of my stories were ever picked up to national news, unfortunately. Um, and like about karaoke night at the local bar. And then this uh, is what set his like, you know, trajectory into fame, into motion. So Men's Health Magazine picks up the story and then Subway franchisees start contacting Subway being like, we got to use this guy in ads. Like we got to start using him somehow. By the way, I was in a trivia one night where they asked, what is the most populous franchise? Like that has the most franchises. And everybody thought it was McDonald's. And I think it is Subway. 
in the world. Yeah, because it's easier to squeeze in. You don't need a full kitchen. You know what I yeah. mean? Like McDonald's, you need a lot of space. So but true. Subway, you can throw one in the back of a gas station and a train station, wherever Ours you want. Ours had two booths. Ours had two booths. It wasn't like a sit down, like huge thing. It was tiny. You're right. It was like slammed in next to a Chinese restaurant. So these franchisees are like, why aren't we using this guy? So they start this whole campaign with Jared as their spokesperson in 2000, the year 2000. And it's um, it's only 20 years ago, but the first commercials truly look like ancient. Like, I feel like I'm watching something on a crank projector. Also, do you uh, just think about Conan and go, in the year 2000, like when <laughs> you said that? <laughs> in the year 2000. Yeah, and but also, do you? whenever I see old like stuff that's not that old, I think of Sex in the City season one. Like, it looked so old. Like, when you look at it now, it just looks like fully someone's like... Like, I don't know. I can't even My describe My friends, it. Marty and Sarah in Chicago, when I visit, uh, we'll get high and watch uh, 90s commercial compilations on YouTube. <laughs> Not to brag, but I do cool things. <laughs> That's really fun. Um, so anyway, this sparked like a whole slew of commercials where Subway focused on being kind of like the healthy fast food option. They focused on Jared. They focused on some other people's stories. Um, and the original spots came with a disclaimer that said the Subway diet combined with a lot of walking worked for Jared. We're not saying this is for everyone. You should check with your doctor before starting any diet program, but it worked for Jared. Okay. So now Jared, like over the years, Jared goes on Oprah. He gets parodied on SNL. There's a whole South Park about him. He's on the Sharknado movies. He just like started to become like, uh, unfortunately, like the My Pillow guy or my, or Tan Mom. He just starts to become like a cultural person, you know, a person in our culture. Um, and then he he would tour around with his 62 inch waist pants now down to a 34 and just like show everyone the pants if you remember that uh, and then in 2008 they did this whole campaign and paired it with his tour de pants where he routinely visited elementary schools and now you'll see why that's creepy later then around 2008 2009 is when we started seeing a little bit less of Jared in commercials because we started focusing more on the 5 5 Five dollar foot long, right? Yes. Lisa, your favorite. Yeah, but I would have to split it with someone because who can eat a whole foot long? No. Yeah. Unless I like I said, unless you're doing when I was so broke in college, also one year I wanted to stay for graduation and like party. And I was my my mom was like, Yeah, but I'm not giving you any money. And I was like, okay. And I just ate six inches for lunch and six inches for dinner. And that was like my health for a week. Even though they leaned away from Jared a little bit for the $5 foot long, by 2013, he'd filmed almost 300 commercials for Subway. What? Yeah. And he was reportedly worth $15 million, which, uh, you know, I think that's from celebritynetworth.com, which we all know is bullshit, but that's like, that's the general, um, what a lot of articles have said, that's kind of what, uh, around his net worth. And he was credited for increasing Subway sales by 33 to 50% from 1998 to 2011. So like, you're, I know $5 foot long was huge, but like Jared got Subway, like they turned them from like a small kind of little like sandwich chain into this like mega thing. Like he was very much a part of that. So he also developed the Fogel Foundation to fight childhood obesity. And this will come up later. So we all know Fogel was not the innocent prince of sandwiches that he may have seemed. And in 2007, he got on the FBI's radar when a former journalist in Sarasota, Florida, said that Fogel had confessed his attraction to young girls to her. Uh, he had told her that. And um, this was this um, woman that he just met. And 
And she just was very good at getting him to open up and say everything that he was into and everything he had done. And so she brought him to the FBI and then became an informant for them. She recorded all their conversations, their texts. She wore a wire. And then she brought all this information to the FBI. But ultimately, he couldn't be prosecuted because of lack of evidence. I guess, like, even though she got all this info, there just, like, wasn't enough evidence. Maybe there weren't, like, names of victims or I don't know. But that 2007 investigation is what got him on the radar. But he wasn't ultimately prosecuted for any of those crimes. Cut to April of 2015. The director of the Fogel Foundation, uh, Russell Taylor, is arrested for child exploitation. This is Russell Taylor is Jared Fogel's friend and the head of his foundation. And he's arrested for child exploitation, possession of child pornography and voyeurism and was eventually sentenced to 27 years in federal prison. In April of 2015, Fogel severs all ties with him immediately following the arrest. OK, two months later. July of 20, of 2015, the FBI raids Fogel's house in Indiana, seizing his electronics, all these documents, because the investigation of Russell Taylor led the feds to Jared. And that must have been like a really tense five to six weeks for Jared in between his own arrest and the arrest of his friend, because he was like, they're coming, right? He had to know they were on their way. Yeah, but then it's like delete all your shit and move to Mexico, bro. Like, I, I know. don't know why you just sit I... there and continue doing pedophile games. I know you're right. You're right. It's really, it's really nuts. Um, so he gets arrested. Um, ultimately authorities found that Taylor and Fogel had traded sexually explicit photos and videos of children, some as young as six in these videos and photos, which is horrible. Um, of course, Subway cut ties with Jared Fogel the exact same day. They like suspended all his campaigns and everything. The FBI also discovered text messages from 2008, between Fogel and a Subway franchisee named Cindy, who he was having an affair with, where he talked about sexually abusing children ranging in age from nine to 16 and asked for her to arrange for him to have sex with her 16 year old cousin. So this man is very sick. Um, Mills lawyer said that she told Subway's corporate about the texts and Subway said because Fogel was not a Subway employee, there was no violation. I don't know how he's not. Maybe he works for the PR company that Subway hires, but he is the face of your company. This is really bad. The FBI found text messages to uh, a woman in which Fogel said he would pay big, quote unquote, if she could procure 14 year old children and said that he, quote unquote, craved underage Asian girls. Um, and in these texts, he also expressed sexual interest in young boys. And a recording exists where he does describe to a friend a sexual encounter with a male child. So he, I just I feel like it's um, you don't always hear about it being prepubescent and postpubescent like he's into both. It sounds like uh, and you just I, I just don't think you hear about that as much. It's usually like you're into small children or you're into like just young girls, but that have or boys that have developed past puberty. Um, there were a couple of other allegations against Fogel, like he propositioned a girl in Vegas at like a convention, but Subway barely investigated it. And then they assumed it was assumed that when he met his second wife, Katie McLaughlin, that this would curb the pedophile behavior. They thought the marriage would keep him, quote unquote, grounded. Um, Katie is the, his wife, who he has two children with, obviously is pissed when this all comes out and eventually filed a lawsuit against Subway to get answers about, like, what did you know? When did you know it? Like, when did people report stuff? Why didn't you investigate? Damn, because... 
you know, Subway's acting like we found out and cut ties, go fuck yourself. But they knew they admit at one point that one of the investigation, one of the allegations was not properly investigated. They're like, we mishandled it. But by August of 2015, federal prosecutors cut a deal with Vogel. There is kind of always a deal to be had, especially when you're famous white man. Um, He pleads guilty to two counts the distribution and receipt of child pornography and one of traveling to engage in illicit sexual conduct with a minor. And that stems from trips to New York city where he paid to engage in sexual acts with a 17 year old. The FBI investigation shows that he arranged his business trips to coincide with like meeting underage sex workers. And there were several times that he traveled to New York city to engage in sex with minors under the age of 18 in November of 2012, he allegedly paid a 17 year old for sexual acts at the plaza. The next day, he asked her via text if she could find him another underage girl, quote unquote, the younger, the better. Uh, And then he traveled to New York City again in 2013 to have sex with the same girl. And then this girl also said that on three separate occasions, she's had sex with Vogel when she was 16. So she's one of his victims. All told, he had 14 victims, both boys and girls. He was eventually ordered to pay them. $1.4 $1.4 million in restitution. So about $100,000 per victim. So I didn't even know this. I assumed, I, I mean, that he was just watching child abuse images and stuff, but he is legit also raping young kids. He, well, he, yeah, he's raping teenagers that are minors for sure. And then a lot of the other stuff I think was unprovable because it was just him like talking to people like, oh yeah, I, I, did this, I did that or whatever, but maybe they couldn't find the victim or like, it could have just been him bragging about things that didn't happen or it could have happened. And there just isn't evidence. I I really don't know. I just didn't look into this that deep, but they hid that pretty well. Like I I don't, I didn't know this. I remember hearing about the trip to New York. I remember hearing like, Oh, he sketchily like had sex with someone in New York, but it definitely wasn't. It was one of those things where you thought, Oh, but he, thought the person was of age or whatever. Like I just, you didn't really get an idea of how like truly sick he was until I started really looking into this. And much like in the SVU episode, he faced up to 50 years in prison if he went to trial, but with the plea deal, they agreed to seek no more than 12 and a half years um, with a minimum of five, which Fogel agreed to. And um, any communication with minors or contact with had to be supervised, um, including visits with his own kids. And his wife was contesting those. And then he would have to be registered as a sex offender for the rest of his life and undergo treatment when he entered his plea in November of 2015. So this all went pretty fast. Like he was arrested in July and he was like entering a guilty plea in November of the same year. He apologized and said he wanted a chance to become quote, a good, honest person after getting caught up in a life of quote, deception, lies and complete self-centeredness. I don't really know if that's getting to the point of what you did, but I guess thank you for your apology. Um, There was a, this is like, I don't know. This is like interesting, but I think kind of bullshitty. Like the, the a forensic psychiatrist who testified for Fogel's defense named John Bradford said because Fogel suffered from like a compulsive eating disorder for several years before he lost his weight, he replaced food with a sense of hypersexuality, which included this guy says, quote unquote, mild or weak pedophilia. And I'm like, I don't know how mild it is. Like you're fully interested in nine year olds, but okay. Like, 
I guess they consider it if it's post-pubescent, like a weaker pedophilia, but I don't think that that is um, valid. Uh, Fogel ended up getting sentenced to 15 years and eight months in prison, which is three years more than the prosecutor asked for. So I think the judge was like, this isn't enough. The judge said that, quote, the level of perversion and lawlessness exhibited by Mr. Fogel is extreme. So he has to serve a minimum of 13 years before becoming eligible for time off with good behavior. So that means his earliest possible release date is July of 2029. And that is would be a month before his 52nd birthday. And um, yeah, he's going to be on supervised release for the rest of his life. And he tried to appeal the sentence, but it was upheld. So that's what happened to the king of Subway, Jared Fogel. And I feel like I wonder if he got uh, protective custody or if he's just super famous in jail, because there's no way that they didn't like people in jail wouldn't know who that is. I know. I know. And, you know, child molesters famously do not do well in prison. Exactly. I can't imagine he's having a very pleasant time, but. And do we have any updates on his family and how they're doing? I know that she, the wife, uh, his second wife did get $7 million in the divorce. So hopefully they went and like changed their names and just are like living somewhere happily, um, his wife and kids. But I just, uh, I mean, it's like, you know, again, it's not like Lisa and I are here to help people get away with crimes, but it's just like, what you're talking to people over text about all this stuff. You're opening up to random strangers about it. Like, I mean, I think this journalist in Sarasota is one of the reasons he got taken down just because she was it was easy to get him talking about it. And like he just was like, oh, yeah, I love being with kids like and just got him to open up and she arrogance. recorded so much of it. Yeah, it's arrogance. That seems like a very I'm surprised by how light a sentence that is for Jared when someone's actually physically acting on it. I think because he only. He only made the plea deal based on the relationship in New York, which was a 17 year old girl who said that things happened when it was 16, but maybe there was no proof. And he, you know, these guys always say, I thought they were 18, you know, and like, I'm sure jury, like, they're like, if we bring this to a jury, they might be like 17, 18, blah, blah, blah. I think obviously he's guilty of other stuff, but that's not what was part of the plea deal. So, yeah, I mean, it's not great. It's not great. And like, I, I think we'll never know like the extent of his crimes really, because I don't, I don't know. There just isn't like a lot of documentation about his other victims, but. And thank God Subway just keeps on thriving. I mean, Subway cannot be taken down. Your spokesman is a full on pedophile rapist. You keep on trucking. Like it is really crazy what a hold on society Subway has. Right. Have you had the veggie patty? No, it is really good. I that love didn't it. exist when I was like in my in my heyday of my subway days. And so then I, my yeah. friend who I lost to a cult called Landmark, um, when we were younger, she would get the seafood salad at Subway. And that to me was like, I should have stopped being friends with her the moment I saw her order that. That is making my stomach turn. Yeah. My little brother, Colin, was such a picky eater as a kid. He would only get a six inch tuna. Nothing on it, no cheese, nothing else, no lettuce, just two scoops of tuna in white bread. And if there was any black bits inside the tuna, he wouldn't eat it. What are black bits? Like anything, like a piece of pepper. You know what I mean? Like any Wait, kinda... is this Colin? Yeah, this is Colin. Have we already talked about this? No. Col so I met Colin and his fiance and we were at dinner and each of them ordered the duck. <laughs> 
And it bothered me so much. I like confronted them. I was like, so you're both going to get the duck. You just love duck. Don't you want to share? Don't you want to go halfsy halves? <laughs> like, why aren't you each getting a thing? You both need that much duck. And they're like, yeah, we both want duck. I don't know what to tell you. And I just, like, it could, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's that's very you're coming from a very me place where I'd be like, oh, wait, you want the duck? I'll get the duck. You get a pasta. We'll both have a little bit of both. Like, yeah, no, they just were both sitting in front of me. And then I ordered the octopus. They brought me one tentacle, one tentacle for seventeen dollars. That was a sad meal to watch Lisa eat. Yeah, to watch Lisa (laughs) eat one tentacle. It was a lot. I know. Megan was like, do you want some of this Branzino? I'm like, yes, of course. (laughs) I wouldn't have ordered the octopus if it was going to, if I knew one tentacle was going to arrive, like I'm fucking sad little mermaid. It was just, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. All right. Well, what's not a bummer is our interview that is coming up and we're so excited to talk to this person. So we'll be right back. All right. I'm really excited for this interview. Um, We went a little bit out of the box this time, guys. We did not talk to an actor from the episode. We talked to the writer of the episode. Our guest has written on ER, The Practice, Cold Case, Crossing Jordan. She's a former co-executive producer and writer on Law & Order Special Victims Unit. And we were so, so privileged to talk to her. So, guys, check out our interview with Samantha Corbin Miller. Well, you did listen to Institutional Fail, which you wrote. And how did you feel about what we said? (laughs) I'm like, are you here to drag us? Like, we're ready for you to tell us that we're completely wrong about everything. (laughs) No, no, you you guys, uh, you know, you guys nailed it. Yeah. I mean, all in all, solid. Super solid. I I enjoyed it. And I forget how, I forget exactly. There was a moment you said something about Barbara, Barbara, like coming in here, Mr. You know, you're all hot for Mr. Suspenders and, you know, representing the patriarchy. (laughs) I was like, I was on my floor. (laughs) Was it cool to have Whoopi Goldberg say that monologue on the stand? It was unbelievable. I mean, Whoopi, she's like the consummate pro. She just comes yeah. in there and and knocks it out. And to, you know, to sort of be sitting back and watching her do her thing was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And, it, and it's funny because at first I was thinking like, huh, Whoopi Goldberg. Cause when, you know, when we were first writing the episode, I was thinking like, you know, she's, she's warm and she's comic and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, we, we love about Whoopi Goldberg. And I was thinking about this, like sort of just tight, you know, starch shirt bureaucrat. But, um, you know, when, when, uh, the casting folks and, and Warren were like, Hey, what about Whoopi? I was like, Oh, Okay. Like it just, it put it, it, it literally, she, she dimensionalized the role and the idea, you know, so, so much more by being part of it. We talk about how like the show really does great things by like turning comedians, like on their heads kind of, and making them like creepy or sort of more bureaucratic or like, you know, different things that when the, when they cast comedians, it's like never what you expect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, people are so game for that challenge. Um, you know, the same with, with so many of these Broadway superstars, I mean, talk about having this, um, amazing, uh, you know, well of talent to, to pick from, um, Mm. you know, having 
done most of the shows I've worked on have been in LA. So, you know, to spend those years in New York and to have this whole new, uh, pool of, of incredible actors, you know, so many with that theater training, it was just like, it was like being a kid in a candy store. It was so great. Speaking of Broadway, one of the episodes you wrote, The Agent Provocateur, did you know it was going to be Patti Lapone, or was it like a whoopee thing where they tell you after? Um, how did that work out? Same. Same thing. Yeah, yeah wow. it, it was it was wow. after and definitely when we knew it was uh it was Ms. Diva Patty Lapone. <laughs> the one, the yeah. only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's when we were like, okay, we're we're gonna start putting out uh, you know, rewrite pages because <laughs> we need more. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so can you tell us a little bit about like your background? Obviously we've like looked you up and you worked on season three as a consulting producer. And then you came back later on seasons, um, 16 and 17 as a, as an EP. So like, I, I just like how, what was your, did you know, Neil bear from ER? Like, we just want to know how you got like into the SVU universe and like, what's your backstory? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I never thought I'd be in a universe, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't do capes. I don't do tights. Um, yeah, I, I knew Neil from ER. Um, you know, he was my, my doctor sensei. That was my, you know, kind of jump into, into the big time was I, I started as a staff writer on ER. ER. Um, and he graciously brought me into, uh, to SVU to help out. Um, I actually had a, a commitment over at, at Universal. So I wasn't able to sort of jump on full time as, as I would have loved to, um, you know, but I came in and I helped on a couple episodes and just, you know, fell in love with the world and the voice. And of course, Olivia Benson and, uh, you know, then sort of went around the Maypole for many, uh, you know, many years. And I mean, that's the great thing about a show like SVU is you can literally have an entire lifetime and come back to SVU. <laughs> it's still going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. We got into this a little bit with Neil, but I, I am sort of interested in like the writer's room process. Maybe just as a writer, I'm, uh, I think that it's interesting how you guys do things because, because the episodes are so sort of compartmentalized, but then there will be these like story arcs. Like I think one of your seasons is like when Benson gets Noah or like, you know, there's all these overarching things that kind of do continue over the course of a season. Um, do you guys sit together at the beginning of the season and say, okay, this is what's going to happen overall generally, but then go off and write your own episode. Do you break story together in the room? Like, how does it work? Yeah. I mean, SVU is a really interesting animal. You know, it's such a well-oiled machine and it's not really a room show. Um, it's a lot more kind of independent study. I mean, we had, you know, kind of, bullpen areas where, you know, we'd chop it up and, and talk with each other, but it, it isn't that traditional. We're all sitting in a room, you know, eight hours a day, you know, breaking stories as a group, but it's really, we'd always be, you know, generating ideas and keeping up with stories, you know, in the outside world. And, and basically we'd come in and, and pitch them to, to Warren, like the showrunner, you know, and he'd have his ideas of stories he wanted to do. And I mean, you know, you, your number would be called when your number was called and, you know, suddenly out of the blue, um, you know, literally it'd be like, Hey, Samantha, you're doing the, the episode, um, in this case, you know, you're, you're doing the Jared from subway episode. So did they like, were you guys like, we got to take down Hank Abraham. How are we going to do it? Or you're like, okay, we're going to have this storyline. 
who in the universe are we going to take? to How did it? Yeah. How did it come about that it was him? That that was actually the 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 second version. We came up with this idea, and you know, a lot of times the the source material, you know, the the rip from the headlines is obscured, and it's also never like a one trick pony. Like it's never like this is the story of x y and z from from beginning to end um so we sort of use the jared as a jump off um but then what was really interesting uh, that i wanted to explore was the idea of all the all the people who are left behind i mean it's literally in the title like collateral damages all the people you don't think about you know when you hear someone's being dragged off in cuffs and you know some high profile case and it's like you know they they have wives they have children they have you know all these people and and how do they deal with that and we talked about how could we do that story and make it really impactful, you know? And, and so we feel through our characters who, who we care about that they would be impacted in that same kind of way. And in a way they too are those collateral damages. And, um, you know, it was actually Warren who had the great idea of like, why don't we make it Hank Abraham? And once again, I was like, yeah, but that guy's such a prick. (laughs) Right. I was kind (laughs) of like, so he's, he's, you know, he's been elevated from prick to, you know, uh, child, child pornography enthusiasts. Like, uh, okay. It's not as much of a jump, but I liked it in that way of, you know, I feel like we've seen the, like, Oh, he's the nice guy. He's the, you know, beloved coach or the beloved, whatever. And Oh, he has this horrible secret, but there was like an extra, once again, just like with that, that whoopee casting decision, uh, in, in institutional fail, it was that one little bit of extra that, that made it a lot more real and a lot more interesting, which is, this is that, you know, uh, this, this blowhard bureaucrat asshole that we all had to deal with, you know, we have that person in our lives, but yet, and still, you know, yet and still, you know, for all the annoyance that this person might cause, you cannot believe that they're involved with something like this. And it humanizes him marrying him with Pippa Cox, right? Like, yes. cause she's a pretty much was liked. there was, she didn't have any like bad, she's like the other, the softer side of this man. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. so, yeah, that was, I thought it was really interesting how it went with him too. And like the, the various phases of him being like, get out of here. You guys got nothing on me. And then him being like, okay, I'm in rehab. So I'm, I'm admitting it, but I did, I'm getting help, you know, like, and then all the way to like utter despair when he realizes that his life, you know, he really just like kind of played through a lot of cycles there. And his acting was so good. Yeah. You do feel a little bit, even though he is this prick for all these other episodes. And in this one too, initially, like you do sort of feel for him a little bit, even though he's guilty and he's, Cause you see these kids and this wife and the, the collateral damages, as you were saying. Yeah. 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 He, he definitely took us through the stages of asshole grief. Very, yeah. very beautifully. <laughs> For um, sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so much of um, so many of those details uh, actually came out of, um, you know, researching families that had gone through, 
you know, similar situations, um, wow. you know, even that moment of, of the little girl, you know, when she sees the police dog and wants to pet the police dog. Cause for her, all she knows is, Oh, here are a bunch of people in the house and they brought a dog. Great. You know, she has no idea that, you know, her, her world has just exploded. In the pitching process or during stuff, is there anything you fought hard for that entered into an episode or things that you really fought for and wanted that didn't turn out in an episode? One of the first ideas I came in with was I really wanted to do the sort of over the top method actor who might be a creep, you know, James Franco, Shia LaBeouf. I I wanted to do it so badly. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those ones that I kept being like, so now can we, (laughs) and I guess maybe I beat him down long enough that, that finally we got to do it in agent provocateur, but that, that one, that one was like my, it's like, I I wouldn't let it go. I was like a dog with a bone with that one. (laughs) You as a writer, were you, were you on set for shooting or like, did you ever like collaborate with like the directors or the actors or anything like that? Or was it just like you hand in your scripts and then you see what happens? Oh no, it was, it was full on like pre pre-production through shooting. You're, you are very much on set, which wow. oftentimes is, you know, in some below zero <laughs> warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Like less than savory location. Um, <laughs> yeah. I found out real quick coming from Los Angeles that, uh, those big Canadian or Canada goose coats aren't just, aren't just for Drake anymore. They are like (laughs) necessary. Um, I, I totally got roasted. Like the, the first day I showed up on set with like basically the California version of a winter coat and the entire crew is just like, ah, who's this lightweight. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the joys of working on SVU is not only are you there, you know, for the entire, uh, run. I mean, you are on set for every minute of, of your shoot, but, um, you know, just the fact that the show has such access to amazing locations all around New York and the location managers are amazing and they find these, you know, these hidden gems. So it's like, even just going on a location scout for this shoot is like some, you know, Atlas Obscura, like, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, I've been in like weird underground temples. I've been in hundred story, you know, hundred million dollar penthouses, you know, and what's incredible is people will open up these, you know, these very sort of private or deluxe spaces because the show has such cachet, you know? So it's like, you're walking through someone's penthouse and, you know, they make you put on booties and, you know, a Tyvek suit to, you know, because so you don't put your, your crew cooties on their, their fabulous (laughs) stuff. And you're walking through and you're like, Oh, there's an original Warhol. Oh, there's a Rothko. Like, and they're just like, (laughs) here, please put, put this on your show so I can talk about it. The country club. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Well, no, that's, I'm glad you said that because we just covered identity from one of the earlier seasons and I noticed this cool painting in one of the houses. And now I like to know that it could be a real home with real art. Yeah. It excites me. I mean, if they can clear it, you know, cause a lot of that stuff you can't get legal clearance for. So wow. our, yeah. our, our art department, um, th- those guys are just they're so good. They're so good at like mocking up dupes and, you know, they always put some Easter eggs too. And there's like posters in the background and stuff like that. 
let me ask you, because obviously we're comedians. We there's something about us view that we love how it, funny it is. Like, I mean, it almost has to have comedy in it because otherwise it's it would ju- the subject matter would crush you. Um, so how do you how do you navigate that? Like as a writer, are you just like, oh, we need to throw a joke in this scene. This is like too this is too much. Or like, how do you you know, do, I'm sure the writers consciously like have that in mind. And there's definitely like a voice to the show that has a little bit of, you know, that munch or even like in the mothership, the Jerry Orbach little quips and stuff. Um, and then you were in later seasons with like Barba always has, you know, some funny lines. Yeah, I was just wondering, how do you guys balance that out? The, the heavy stuff and the jokery? Yeah, it's it's funny because I've found um, over the years just hanging out with with writers of all stripes that um, as a general rule, drama writers tend to be hysterical and comedy writers not so much off, <laughs> off the clock. And I think it's probably because they leave it all in the field and because, you know, their hours are so crushing and it's, you know, like a gladiator, you know, match in their writer's rooms to, you know, come up with the best joke. But I've done some dark shows and the the writers on these dark shows tend to be really funny. So it's usually not so hard to find the, the voice of the humor. But like you say, it's... Um, it really is about well, where, you know, where is it appropriate to have this moment and have this joke? Um, the good news is I, I feel like there's enough moments that are kind of outside direct victim involvement on the show that it's like, right. you know, you can have those, I mean, especially with, with Barba, like writing for, um, writing for Raul is, is, it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I, I love that man. I love putting words in his mouth. Um, <laughs> he's, he's great. Like he's a super well-educated, like on, on set when everyone else is just sitting around bullshit and looking at their Instagram, this and that it's like, he would have these like leather bound, dusty books that looked like they, you know, came from, you know, a crypt of a Latin monastery somewhere. He's reading that shit for fun. Like nicest, chillest dude in the room, but like super smart. Um, so yeah. And, and can memorize just pages of dense legal dialogue and just like nail it and give you colors and all this stuff. So yeah. So writing a, writing a quippy barba line that actually ends up um, in a script, that's always like the highest of, you know, honor. Um, but you know, all, all, all those cats, I mean, you know, Carisi is also, I I love writing for, for Scanavino because, um, you know, he, he can deliver the funny without saying a word, you know, he just, he just has a look a lot, you know, thing. And then ice, is, is the, the quip master, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, he's, he's completely <laughs> quiet through an entire scene. And then you just put that ice button at the end of the scene that like one, you know, it's like, everyone's talking like all their, you know, legalistic mumbo jumbo. And then he just nails it like that's some bullshit. And it's like, yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the, the best part of, of being on that set, I mean, it's for real, like it is a kind of warm, tight family atmosphere. Um, one of the things that I always appreciate about Marishka, well, I appreciate a lot of things about Marishka. Um, first of all, she 
you know, this is, this is her set, her show, and it's a responsibility that she doesn't take lightly. And, um, she knows these scripts up down and center. And it's always kind of scary as a writer when she pulls you aside and wants to ask something about the script, because it's like, you know, she's found something and you know, she's (laughs) going to have a good point. And then it's like, Oh, I hope I didn't screw it up too bad. (laughs) But on the, on the other side, you know, but that goes to that professionalism, you know, cause I mean, how many people would be phoning it in at this point in time? She's absolutely not phoning it in. She brings the intensity. She brings the care to the work. But the, the one thing that I always found so lovely about her is that whenever there was guest cast, um, she would make it a point to, you know, really bring that person in, make sure they were comfortable, kind of get them acclimated. Because when you think about it, I mean, talk about coming in on the first day of school. It's like, you're coming into this well-oiled machine. Everyone knows everyone, everyone knows what's going on. And and you're this guest actor, you know, coming in for a couple days, uh, of work, but she never lost sight of of, of their comfort and, and bringing them in, which I thought was really cool. And then ice, I mean, that guy, it, it's literally, you want to be just be sitting at video village, which are like the director's chairs that are kind of around the, the monitors where the director and the script supervisor and, you know, the writers, um, sit and watch while the show is actually being filmed. Um, and usually the actors will, hang out there as well, if they're in the next scene or, or whatever. And, um, it, it was always the best when ice would hang out. Cause he always had great stories of like back in the day and, you know, his journey and the rap game and this and that. And like, he always had a philosophy on what was going on in the world. And like, it was always just like, uh, I'm just going to sit back and like, ice is going to drop some knowledge oh and it's <laughs> going to be rad. Um, so can we ask you, like, this is a little bit of a silly question, but just for your, we just want your opinion. Who do you think is Benson's um, romantic match? Like, do you think that, I mean, obviously now spoiler, he has passed, but Ed Tucker, a lot of people liked her with Ed Tucker, obviously Maloney. Some people wanted her with Barba, but I personally never saw that as a thing with them. I mean, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> you know, um, it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't need the stabler hive coming after me. I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I value my life. No, I think it's actually pretty common for people to say that they don't want Benson and stabler together. You, I don't think people will come for you. Don't worry. Interesting. Interesting. People are like, some people are like, make it happen. And then other people are like, she deserves better. He's toxic. So we, we get a lot of both sides from people. Yeah. I, I gotta say I was, um, I I was pretty sweet on the, the Tucker of it all. I felt like they were a good match. I felt like, you know, they'd gone through some stuff, um, but he learned, he grew. Um, Mm. and I felt like he was like, he was man enough for her. Like, you know, it's like Barbara, I feel like that, that could be a fun, a fun fling in, in Paris, (laughs) you know, maybe like a long weekend in Paris with Barbara, but yeah, long, long term. I don't know that I see that one. Yeah. At the end of your episode, Collateral Damages, I think, is that the first time we we know that there's something with, with Tucker and Olivia? I believe when so. they link arms. It was just that little link of the arm. Yeah. That, no, uh, that was, you started people down a path there. You have a show that you wrote on that's on air right now. One is filming and then one is in pre-production. Is that correct? 
Yeah. I let's Damn. see. Sometimes they put the, put that pre-production thing on IMDb. I actually, I have, uh, I have a couple pilots I'm working on that are in contention, uh, for a couple streamers and, um, yeah. And just wrapped on another NBC show called debris. And that's like more of a sci-fi show, right? That's, that's a sci-fi investigation show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're still using your like procedural muscles, but it's like a little bit more out of this world to it be is, dorky. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is hella weird. It is hella weird. That show. <laughs> Oh my God. I love Samantha. I want her to be my mentor. I love (laughs) getting inside scoop and I love talking to people with amazing work ethics. Like I really noticed this. I was like, Oh, people are working and that's why they have money. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) Hmm, it's almost like correlation, Uh, (laughs) but it is. uh, Yeah. She was incredible. And I'm also grateful. She told us about Jared from subway. Yeah, let's be honest. That was an exciting, um, not an exciting crime. Let's cut that JK, but um, (laughs) a famous, you know, in the in the eye type crime. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those it's one of these crimes where like I'm surprised I hadn't actually like looked into it more deeply or like read a in-depth New York Times piece about it or something. I just kind of knew in general that he was a creep and I didn't really know any of the details. So um I don't know. I can't say I'm glad I know them now, but I do know them now. And unfortunately, I am craving Subway. Like I want (laughs) a tuna sandwich. It could be fake tuna and Jim Matz in the bread. I want it so bad right now with pepper jack cheese and those little banana peppers. Like, give it to me. (laughs) I know. I'm like, part of me is like, if I ever give up my almost 14 year streak as a vegetarian. I'm like, will I go straight back to a BMT at Subway and just eat a stack of deli meat slathered in mayo? Wait, (laughs) if you give up vegetarianism, like I want to go out and do like burgers or like steak or something. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I would rather, yeah, I don't think cold cut sandwich is what you're going to (laughs) break your vegetarianism with. You're right. That's not how we're going to celebrate it. I'm like, we'll fucking go to Mastro's bitch. No, for sure. And I would go to Mastro's anyway, because I bet their sides are dope. I've never been, I've wanted to go because they have lobster mashed potatoes. Let's go for your birthday. Yeah, I was just about to. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I, well, I everywhere we go, I'm kind of I'm I am one of those bad people that are obsessed with my own birthday, and I think about <laughs> it for months and months and months in advance. And I'm always like everywhere we go now because every I'm like I'll, I, I want to party here. No, here I want uh, here. Like every <laughs> patio we've been to is where I want to throw my party. But yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So what? Let's get into our post mortem for this episode. Uh like what we learned besides we love subway again. Um, (laughs) if someone's acting uncharacteristically interested in something, they're guilty. Like if Hank Abraham always a dick, suddenly he's like, good work guys. Right. Suspicious. Yeah. You know, if someone's acting off kilter or nicer or meaner to you out of nowhere, dig deeper, do not accept the niceness. (laughs) Also, like, I don't know if this is like a lesson, but I guess it's kind of, it's kind of a good career move to hide it if you're married to like the company asshole. Like nobody knew Pippa was married to Hank. 
she just kept that quiet for her own image and it kind of worked for until it didn't, you know? Well, I was also going to say a horrific postmortem moment is you never know who you're married to. Do you? Yeah. Oh God. Except me. I do. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Truly. You just never know what someone is up to or capable of. Oh my God. They could be a pedophile or, you know, throw you in a wood chipper one day. You just never know. (laughs) That's from a forensic files. I didn't just pull that out of my own brain. Well, yeah. And famously Fargo, um, the most famous wood chipper scene in cinema. (laughs) Fargo, baby. Um, yeah. And I guess like, I mean, like I said, I'm, we're not here to help you guys get away with crimes, but if your co-founder of your foundation gets busted, you're next. Get the fuck out of town. (laughs) Also, if you're not getting a deal, but he did get a deal. I guess always a deal to be made. Always yeah, a deal to be gets made. A fucking deal, man. Yeah, you could be uh, watching 19 hours of child sex abuse images and still get a deal. So whether you're at a car dealership or anywhere, just keep that in mind. Hank Abraham got it concurrently, not consecutively. So fight, fight for your right. Get a free oil yeah. change. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy also because it's like it's not even like not only do you not know who you're married to, but like you don't know who any famous person is. You don't know what famous people like or spokespeople or whatever. Like, I mean, he was famous. He had a certain degree of fame as this certain as this. He's like this guy next door with this weight loss success story who's a full pedophile. So, you know, just be careful. Don't idolize celebrities. It's the guys with the huge pants you got to watch, as they always say. (laughs) Um, also change your passwords up for your child porn sites. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, my legal of age porn site that I subscribe to, um, my screen name is glitter cheese. And I'm like, why did I do that? (laughs) Go, everybody go find Lisa on Pornhub or whatever. I'm a, yeah, no, I have another site. I'll keep that secret. I usually tell everyone, I bet anyone, I bet you could guess, but I am glitter cheese (laughs) on my porn website. (laughs) Oh, and I do. Well, this reminds me, I do have a new porn hub joke. That's kind of been a hit. I am doing stand up again and I will be in Philly June 24, 5, 23 through 25 that weekend. I'm there like Thursday through Saturday at the punchline in Philly, right? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'll be in Philly. I have this will be my first time doing a weekend since March, like 6th and 7th in North Carolina, March 2020. So um, I've been working hard, getting getting it all together. Lisa is a singular talent on the stand up <laughs> stage. You guys, I'm serious. Like if you like her on this podcast, you're going to love her doing stand up. So go get if you live within a four. Four hour radius of Philadelphia. <laughs> Drive yourself there. Get tickets at the punchline. And I don't want to say this about myself, but it is going to be a special night back because it is going to be my first weekend. So you will see, like, I'll be tight and desperate for laughs, but also have sheets and need to do crowd work. Uh, so, yeah. And she'll be like happy for you to buy her a drink at the end of the night. Like, well, I'm this not is... drinking. Hello. <laughs> I went I to maybe you would drink at your first show back. No, you're right. I'll have a whiskey in Philly. But <laughs> I just um, I've been tr- New York. I had like eight espresso martinis a day. I was like, I should like chill out. But you're right. I will be drinking philly i'll also be in dave and busters wednesday night for half price game night so if you are a dave and busters fan i will be playing so you can no find need me to stalk lisa she's letting you know where she is every day <laughs> and i will be having a philly cheesesteak one day too i mean i can't wait i like american cheese over cheese whiz philly let me know how you feel about that 
All right. Well, you know what? This is a seamless transition into our weekly segment, What Would Sister Peg Do?, where we uh, direct you towards resources or organizations that can help you learn more or understand more about an issue we talked about in today's episode. Um, Today, we're going to just direct you guys to a New York Times article about child sexual abuse images. And it's just a very interesting um, article that sort of talks about how we got here with why the internet is completely overrun with images like this. And uh, we will have that in our What Would Sister Peg Do Instagram story highlight where you can find all of our uh, past What Would Sister Peg Do segments and um, you'll be able to swipe up and read the article from there. Also, it's in our show notes. So next week's episode, we will be covering Smut Season 10, Episode 10. 10, 10, baby. 10s across the board. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know we did not cover the Ralisi. What is it? Yes, the Ralisi moment. The Ralisi kiss. It's because I am behind. I'm catching up. I am watching too much Top Model. I've watched three seasons in one week. No, I, but I know what happened. I saw the photos. I I cannot wait to watch the kiss and masturbate. Um, so we'll talk about <laughs> it soon. Kara has watched it. I'm sorry to disappoint everyone. I'm trying my best. We'll have a hot take on it next week, guys. So just stay with us, okay? We'll see you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>